Welcome uh, again to Sunday Night Service, and we are excited to kick off this new series tonight, Conversations on Race. So thank you so much for joining us as we dive into this topic that is not only relevant for us right now in the time in which we find ourselves, which the Bible speaks so clearly to us um, as we're going to discover as we jump into things tonight. So as we get started, I'd love for each of our panelists tonight who are here for this first conversation to introduce themselves. So Les, let's start with you. Thank you. Uh, I'm Les Carter. I've been coming to the Moody Church for about 11 years and uh, have lived in Chicago for about 15 years. I am an attorney but work uh, for a wealth management firm advising clients there. Great, thanks. And I'm Jocelyn Carter. I've also been coming to Moody for about 11 years and lived in Chicago for about 15 years. I am a psychology professor at DePaul and do a lot of work here at church with the children's ministry. Great, thanks. Eric? Hey, I'm Eric Targe. I'm a pastor here. I oversee our disability ministries and our ministry to university students. Uh, I've been on staff here for six years at the Moody Church and attending uh, for about 10 years. So right around the time you guys came. Pretty cool. Great. TK? Uh, my name is Ayanda Kumalo, but most people know me as TK. Uh, I've been at Moody Church actually for like a year. I've been in the Moody community for a long time, seven years. Um, down the street with Moody Bible Institute. Um, yeah. And I, oh, yeah. And I oversee the music for the Sunday night service. So I'm the director of music for Sunday night service. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, this issue of race as we think about it and, and what the Bible has to say about it is quite literally something from the very beginning to the end of Scripture. It kind of informs our view and perspective. So tonight as we launch into these discussions, we're going to start at the beginning kind of actually the very first chapter of the Bible. So Eric, I just would love for you just to start us off. When we think about race, one of the important things that we think about from a biblical perspective is the image of God and how that Im informs us. So what is the image of God? Michael, it's such a, a great question. I'm so glad that we're beginning there because what we see is that the image of God is actually foundational uh, to the to the Bible's anthropology, to kind of talking about what it means to, to be human. And it's actually one of the things that sets apart the Bible from basically any other ancient Near Eastern text of that time. So pretty much all other ancient Near Eastern texts would say that to be made in the image of God was something that was uh, reserved for the king or the leaders. And then in what some would consider a more benevolent society, it would be for the men uh, and land-owning men of that race or of that ethnicity of that people group. But the Bible kind of does something striking by saying that the image of God, that image that's placed on uh, a person, is given to all of humanity and not just male, but male and female. That's Genesis 1, 26 to 27. God made humanity in his image, male and female. In fact, the word man, which appears before it, is just the generic term for humanoid. The humanoids were made in his image, to get a little scientific there. And there's there's been debate uh, all throughout history as to what it means to be made in the image of God. And obviously, sometimes that has been used to oppress and hurt mm. certain people groups. Uh, as the pastor for disability ministries, it's been used to, to hurt those uh, in the disability community at a, at a very great number. Uh, as you look throughout millennia, even in church history, people like Martin Luther and Augustine, uh, who have given great contributions to the faith, even though many of them, uh, even though both of them uh, 
have issues that need to be dealt with, both misunderstood the image of God and it affected people with disabilities. So there's, I would say, when you're looking at the image of God, there's kind of four major ways yeah. that, that people would take the image of God. Uh, first would be a, a mental and spiritual sense. Some would say, okay, mentally and spiritually, we're like God, another way would be in physical resemblance. Some have held that we are like God and that he looks like us. Uh, that one is clearly problematic because God is spirit, right? It says clearly in scripture, God is spirit. He is not a man. Rather, it's remarkable and it's a miracle when Christ takes on human flesh. And then the other two are that he is, that we, uh, when we are image of God, that we are God's representatives here on earth, and then fourthly, the relational capacity. And I think yeah. most scholars today would take uh, probably a mix between three and four, recognizing that the image of God in a certain sense has been changed and that we don't relate to God in the way that we are supposed to. And so we'd say the image of God has been in a sense marred. Uh, and then also that we are not representatives of God in the way that we are meant to. So if you look at Exodus 20, for example, that same word for image that's used in Genesis 1 is used in Exodus 20 uh, when it says you are not to make any graven images. So we are God's image here on this earth. The reason we don't need graven images is because we have each other. We should be able to look at one another and see that there is something so much greater than us. So to, to sum up, and I know that's a really long response to your question, so forgive me, but I, it is foundational, right? Yeah. The image of God is something that belongs to all of humanity, regardless of ability, regardless of race, regardless of gender. Uh, and the image of God is, uh, it's our representation of God in this world. It's God marking the earth as his territory, as a household idol would be a marker uh, in the ancient Near East to say, God, this God uh, owns this home, whether that be Baal or another God. Uh, Yahweh put his mark, that's the personal name of God, put his mark uh, from the Bible uh, on this earth by putting little images everywhere in you and me, no matter the color or uh, anything else about us. Yeah, that's super helpful. So TK, when we think about the image of God, how does each person being made in the image of God impact how we view racism? I think we, we need to, kind of carrying on from Eric, is everything that God made is good. Yeah. And, and, and that is beautiful. So we have to frame how we view each other in the same way God views ourselves. Yeah. So we, and as believers, we're saved by grace. So in a sense, that which was marred has been restored through Christ. So we are sacred. And I think when, when it comes to conversation of, of race and racism, I think it's more of a self-reflection um, on how I view what God has created. Let a, and, and, and remove ourselves from, uh, that's an object, but actually that is a representation of who God is. So if I'm deconstructing what God has created from my perspective, I'm actually questioning what God has created. The c capacity, the creativity, the imagination of who God is to create something. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we need to... Um, continually, daily, stop and pause and say, that actually is something that God has made. So when I, when I throw comments 
that actually bring down the image of God. I'm actually critiquing God hmm. and his creativity, his imagination, the mark that he's given on all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful. Yeah, I love what one author said that that what makes each of us, which is the image of God, like God, is of infinite more importance than any physical thing that makes us dislike each other. Mm. And I think that unity that's found foundation for everyone, regardless of their beliefs, their backgrounds, their religion, like that that, that is core and central. Um, Eric, there's been some texts in the Old Testament at times that have been taken out of context to justify certain things. And one of those I would just love for you to address for us. There's um, in Genesis chapter 9, yeah. it's a passage that has been misunderstood many times over the years, um, the curse of Ham. Can you just help us understand what, what that is and then help us understand what the Bible is actually saying there? Yes, the curse of Ham. Well, so the curse of Ham, let's just take a, a step back and recognize that it's probably one of the most misused texts in all of history. Perhaps we could say even mostly all of American history, even yeah. the the interpretation of the curse of Ham that uh, is sometimes still known of today as the curse against black people uh, was actually popularized in the 1600s. It was used uh, by slave traders and used by, uh, by ministers who were actually promoting the slave trade. It is a uh, it's a, a, a scar on the history of American Christianity, not on Christianity in general, not on uh, Christian history or even biblical history. So it's actually something that, that actually doesn't make sense because first off, uh, there is no such thing as a curse on ham. So maybe we should just take a step back there. Right. Uh, in fact, let's just look at the text so that we can understand what I'm talking about because I'm sure someone is like, you're taking verses out of the Bible and saying that they're no longer there. Uh, that's, that's not at all. Rather, if you're looking at... Uh, uh, Genesis 9, what we see is Noah gets into a drunken stupor. We can talk about that another time, what's happening there. And basically, uh, somebody, uh, some think it was Ham, some think it was Canaan, probably Canaan walks, or sorry, probably Ham, walks in on uh, Noah's nakedness. Uh, and what that means uh, is also hotly debated, whether or not that was a sexual sin, or rather simply that he shamed him and uh, was talking about him in a different way. There's a whole bunch of different uh, ideas there, but let's, let's focus on the text here because this is what's important. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. Did you hear that? <laughs> he, he doesn't say cursed be Ham. There's no anything about cursed be Ham. It's cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And so in American history, they, they kind of took that little verse and said, see, uh, Canaan represents uh, all black people, or Ham represents all black people. Uh, Shem represents the, the Semites, which is accurate there. It actually does represent right. the the Semites, uh, and then Japheth represents uh, all of us white people. And so Canaan is going to, sorry, uh, yeah, Ham is going to serve all the white people in the American tradition of slavery, and we're just fulfilling God's curse. However, one, uh, Japheth definitely does not resemble anything of any white people at all. There are no uh, Caucasians in the Bible. I'm sorry. I know that's going <laughs> to totally destroy your worldview. The closest you'll get to anyone of any Caucasian lookingness uh, in the Bible are kind of like the modern Turks and Greeks, but like 
Caucasians, Brits, not there. Uh, and when we talk about uh, the curse of Ham, the truth is Ham was not just Canaan. Ham was Cush. Cush actually was a majority black nation that everyone knew as black. Uh, but Canaan and a lot of the uh, other sons of Ham uh, were, were mostly known uh, for being of the tribes of, of Egypt and Mizraim and all these places that would have been more Middle Eastern. And when, when we look at this text and we say, okay, what is, what is happening here in regards to, to Canaan? and being a servant, this isn't something that's fulfilled in 1619 by any stretch of the imagination. No, rather it's fulfilled when Israel takes the land, right. when Israel takes the land from Canaan. So an example of this, if you're looking in the next chapter in Genesis 10, it actually tells you who are the sons of Canaan, who are these people that are, uh, that are going to take the land and inhabit uh, the land of Canaan. And what's interesting is that when Abraham comes on the scene, uh, in a famous verse, I wrote it down because I didn't want to misquote it, Genesis 15, 16, uh, Abraham is told by God, he says, listen, one day you're going to possess this land. You're going to possess the land of Canaan. But first we need to wait until the sins of the Amorites come to fulfillment until they have truly turned against me in absolutely every way and they have truly just uh, embraced all of their evil and wickedness. Uh, and so it's, it's about the Amorites. It's about the, the Hivites, the Jebusites. It's, it's not about the, any of the nations that are actually traditionally associated with blackness. And it's certainly not about America in the 1600s. Not at <laughs> all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, very, that's very helpful, and I think, sadly, we still see that, right, in pockets today that people would go back to that text to justify yeah. their views towards certain people. There are commentaries people. that are still published yeah. today that, that use that. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that explanation. Justin, I'd love to hear um, just from your personal perspective, um, how have you seen or experienced racism in your life? Sure, thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, so in case um, not everyone knows uh, me and knows my story, my parents are in an, um, from an interracial background. So my dad is black or African-American, my mom's white, my parents divorced. So I lived mostly with my mom and grew up in a pretty um, homogeneous uh, rural part of Pennsylvania. So growing up, um, I definitely had times where I experienced um, friends telling jokes um, that were derogatory um, about black people. I can remember the first time um, I was called the N-word walking mm -hmm. along the side of a rural street. And usually those experiences of racism were a little bit easier to deal with because they were so... Um, over and I would have people around who would say like, oh, sorry, we forgot you were here or we don't consider you like that type of black person. Mm -hmm. um, what's um, more impactful, I think, um, for me, looking back on um, my childhood and the messages that I received and also thinking about my role as a parent of um, two kids and all of the work that I do with children is really the message that there was something wrong with me because of the color of my skin. So looking around at the um, music that I listened to, um, the TV shows, the movies, I never saw anyone um, that looked like me and really internalized the sense that, that my skin color was something that I should be ashamed of and mm. that was bad. So one story to quickly share, I remember dressing up with some of my cousins. We were playing um, 
like model or beauty pageant. We love to play dress up. And we got all dressed up and I said, okay, I'm going to paint my skin white so that I can win the beauty contest because then I will be pretty. And my cousins, Liz and Becky, said, you don't need to paint your skin white. You're pretty and you're beautiful the way you are. But I didn't really believe them. And I think that that's something that happens when you grow up sort of filling in explanations for why mm. things are the way they are um, in your life. So I'm glad um, that I um, am not dealing with that anymore. And I'm thankful for the representation that, that my girls get to see. Yeah. But it's definitely painful. Yeah, yeah, I know that's that's so helpful. Thank you, Eric. You have a, a unique kind of background that you come from a family that's Puerto Rican and Jewish. How has yeah. that shaped your views and experiences of race? Wow. Uh, yeah, you know it it shapes you in a in a very big way to be the product of uh, a biracial or interracial marriage, especially if that's, uh, if it's also cultural, uh, bicultural. Right. So for, for me, uh, my parents were, were both present for the majority of my childhood and active in my life. Uh, and it, it was kind of strange constantly having uh, a Puerto Rican uh, influx of culture and a Jewish influx of culture and kind of feeling no matter where you live, you don't fully fit in anywhere. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest things that uh, just comes to mind in how you see the world is I think, one, it shapes your your narrative of the world, and then secondly, it also just kind of, uh, it helps you to associate with, with so many more groups. So kind of what you were talking about, Jocelyn, as a kid, uh, I remember the first time I heard a Hispanic slur, and I remember the first time that I heard a Jewish slur. Uh, and I heard both of those even going up through college. I remember it was uh, the first time, one of the worst words I'm not gonna say here on camera uh, against Jews, the first time I heard it was actually at a Christian college. Mm. I'd always heard people kind of say it, but I never heard anyone actually use it it toward me. Uh, and that was kind of a, a striking thing. But when it, when it comes to the narrative, I think one of the, the moments that sticks with me was when I was five years old. I was actually talking with my mother uh, on my phone right before this because I was like, hey, mom, do you remember? And just trying to get the story right. Uh, so a lot of American history, for example, is kind of told through a certain lens, right? right. Uh, everyone celebrates Columbus Day, and it's this great thing. And I remember uh, as a kid growing up hearing my abuela and my mom talking about uh, Columbus Day and all these different things. Uh, and I remember picking up a lot of what they, they shared for, with me, especially my mother was kind of going through a book. Uh, and I remember going to uh, my my kindergarten class where they were talking all about like, oh, we're gonna have this Columbus Day celebration. And I remember raising my hand. It's one of those early memories, one of the few that sticks with you. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't celebrate Columbus Day because Columbus killed my whole family. And it was like, wait, what? And it's like, wait, Columbus didn't kill my immediate family. <laughs> we're, we're quite removed from that. But hearing the stories at the dinner table of how this man terrorized the island of Puerto Rico and how his men, his soldiers terrorized, there was this, this feeling of, oh, wait, why are you celebrating that? And so the narrative 
was completely different. It actually deeply shaped how I viewed American history and viewed so many things growing up. Because I think, especially when you're uh, of the ethnicities that I'm of, uh, Puerto Rican, you have Columbus Day every year. You're like, wait, what? And then, it, let's be honest, most high school history classes love to focus on World War II. And it's like, wait, who wanted to kill all my Jewish family? And yeah. So there's a, I think when you're, when you do have two ethnicities that, that drive your understanding of identity, uh, there was a, a scholar I was listening to a while ago who called it life in the hyphen. And I yeah. love that. Uh, just kind of living on the hyphen of Latin uh, dash Ashkenazi Jew, the, the hyphen makes it just, you kind of have to look at the world through bifocals and everything. Right. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. TK, you bring a unique perspective, different than anyone else in the panel, in that you grew up in Zimbabwe, and then you came to the United States in your mid-20s, yeah, about there? mid to late 20s. Mid to late 20s. We don't have to identify how old you are. That's all right. So <laughs> Keep it there. Yeah. <laughs> very vague, very vague, yeah. What has that experience that you kind of grew up in a different t a culture, a different place, and then you've been here now for several years, how has that taught you, what has that experience taught you about racism? Uh, so... Zimbabwe is predominantly black, but I went to all boys military school that was predominantly white. So I experienced physical, verbal, and emotional race, racial abuse mm. um, for three years. Um, and then coming to the USA, so I'm the 6'4 guy, played rugby. So I would say I'm pretty much built. And then you walk into certain spaces and people are kind of standoffish initially, then they hear me speak. And then they connect, oh, you have this British accent, wow. Like people then get enamored with this accent that I have. And the same goes when I, so I have the privilege of traveling the world doing music. And I will say I've, I, quite a lot of the times, and I won't say mention the countries, I will get um, random checked. Right. And it happens in every country generally that I travel to. So countries in Asia, countries in Europe, um, and even in the Middle East. I will get everyone else to go through. Um, quick story, when I was in a country in Asia, um, the group of people I was traveling with, doing music, every, this is a domestic flight. I was already profiled when I came into the country. But this is a domestic flight. That's like from Chicago to Minneapolis. Everyone goes through security check, and then I get pulled aside. And then they do a drug test. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, I've traveled this bag, like at least 10, 15 countries. They do a drug test, and an alert comes on, and I'm tagged with carrying cocaine. So they did five drug tests with the, one of the directors we're touring with, um, and he had to make a scene for me to get let through. So I think even coming from a predominantly black continent with a predominantly black country, racism is, isn't just a white black thing. Right. Nor is it just um, something that's airy fairy because America has a history with slavery. It's, that's the only place it is. Everywhere you go, people have, because of sin, have... Some people have a disposition to other races. Mm. Um, and that's something that I've experienced. So in the USA, it's, and I'll end with this, is I've chosen through my experiences, 
one thing I've learned has been people do not define who I am. And that's where I walk. So even traveling on the CTA, some people won't sit next to me. And you can see it. Someone walks into the train, they'll look at me, and they're like, they'll go stand. So that initially hurt me, but then I chose to say, well, you know what? That's that person's choice. Right. I choose to do the right thing and still love, and I still have more space on the seat. <laughs> <laughs> so you... you, you um, you choose that, and on top of that, I'm an immigrant, so the conversation of even immigration adds yeah. that extra layer yeah. to, to a minority coming to a country that still is working through this conversation of race, yeah. and then you get labeled this extra label that is now becoming negative. Hmm. Um, for a lot of people. Yeah, I love that reminder because I think so often to think of race as a black-white issue is, I think, uh, a uniquely American concept, right? And I think it's ignorant for us not to look around the world and even at our own history, yeah. right? That, then we see that, that this prejudice and racism extends far beyond that. It certainly includes that, but it is certainly not yeah. limited um, to that. I'd love to shift a little bit. Um, so one of the, the misunderstandings, we hit it one earlier, uh, another misunderstanding that often is brought about through scripture is in the Old Testament commands to the Jewish people on when they were to go into the land to not to intermarry with the foreigners. And that's been taken by people to say, look, you shouldn't have interracial marriages. That should be each ethnicity, each race, each nationality should stick with each other so much so that I, I should have looked it up before maybe one of you know. But until, is it 50 or 60 years ago in this country was when the Supreme Court ruled that it was actually legal. So for many people, their parents or grandparents, do you remember? 1971. 19, so even Virginia less than that. Okay, 1971. Loving. Yeah, the Supreme Court ruled. And I think it was over 20 States, it was still illegal just less than 50 years ago in our own country for that. Eric, first, briefly for us, can you help us? If someone were to say that interracial marriage isn't approved by Scripture, it goes against what God's Word said, don't yell at us, right? But give us okay. what, 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 what actually is going on there when it says that the Israelites shouldn't intermarry with the foreigners. So without yelling and trying to be very brief, let me just say, if, a, <laughs> if an Israelite were gifted 23 and me. They wouldn't care. They wouldn't <laughs> use it. They'd be like, wait, wh wh why do I care about my genetics or what I go back to? The religion of the Jews and clearly throughout the whole Torah, they're not concerned with your ethnicity. They're concerned with your theology. Yeah. And I think just to, to make that all go away, we see so many people with interracial marriages in the Bible. Joseph uh, is married to uh, an Egyptian woman. And so... Uh, Part of the tribes are half Egyptian, and even in the line of Jesus. I was just doing the math right before I came here. It's really simple math, but I'm a pastor theologian, so I don't really know any math, <laughs> right? Uh, but I, I was looking. I was like, okay, if you look at Matthew 1, and I think this answers the question, but look at Matthew 1, Jesus' genealogy, and you see uh, this amazing thing that Salmon marries Rahab, which, uh, who gives birth to Boaz, and Boaz is half Jewish, right? Boaz marries uh, Ruth. And therefore, their son, Obed, is a quarter Jewish based on the 23andMe stuff, which means Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, is only like a quarter ethnically, biologically Jewish. And he, they're all in the line of Jesus. Yeah. You see, it, 
it doesn't actually matter. In fact, when we, when we look throughout scripture, we actually see that those who speak against interracial marriage are actually judged for it. So we think of that famous incident in Numbers, I think it's Numbers 12, uh, where Miriam and Aaron decide to kind of form a coup against Moses for his wife, who is repeatedly called the Cushite, mm -hmm. that Cushite woman. It's used multiple times to kind of emphasize the point of, well, you, you married a black woman, so that would have been the area uh, sometimes labeled uh, in scholarly writings as Nubia, south of, of the mainland of Egypt. Uh, and what the, the result of it is God says, okay, you like white so much, well, I'm going to make your skin as white as can be. And she develops a skin disease, which results in her having to be excommunicated from the community until she heals. So God is not a fan of yeah. white over black. In fact, he sees it as a judgment. Not that people who are white are, <laughs> are, are judged. But hey, there's a, there's a reality here that, that racism, especially against interracial marriage, is not tolerated by God. Yeah, and I think it's so important. It's interfaith marriage, right, is what God is warning yes. them against. And we see that over and over and over again in Scripture, right? It's the, the faith, the theology, that, that is what, what the command is there for. So, Les and Jocelyn, um, you guys are obviously interracial marriage. Jocelyn, you were joking before. We are? That's news to us, right? Like, yes, you are. So, <laughs> so I'd just love to, to know, how has that affected your view of race and racism? I'll, I'll start with, I guess. So as a white man, I was fortunate before our relationship really not to need to have a view on race or racism. You know, it would be easy to say, you know, if, if someone asked explicitly, oh, well, that, you know, I'm not racist. This, of course, racism is bad. That would have been my answer. I'm, I'm fairly confident as a, as a teenager before we had met, but it wasn't part of my experience. You know, right. I, I did not have experiences similar to what these three have shared, and that was kind of a, a privilege that I had, that I didn't have to deal with that explicitly. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the first thing that I learned was uh, that this was something that I now had to deal with, that this was a, a reality of my life, um, and that it was no longer a choice to say, well, do I want to consider this? Do I want to opt into this conversation? or not, and right. this, is, this is part of the conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that was the, the first thing I learned, and learning, then a, then a light kind of went on, oh, so you know, that's, been, that's the reality for people of color or minorities or people who have experienced this. That's, that's their whole life, right? That's yeah. it, it, not a, a switch you can turn on, or it's not something that you can say, well, you know, I, I thought about that during the week. It's the weekend. I'm, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. 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 Their day-to-day -day experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I think for me, um, having, um, I identify as black, but having grown up around a lot of white people in terms of learning what it was like to be white, I don't have to work um, that hard because right. that's sort of what the default is um, in our society. I think the thing that's been most challenging um, is thinking about um, helping um, our daughters mm -hmm. understand um, who they are in Christ mm -hmm. and buffer them against some of the messages um, that they're getting from other people who oftentimes um, are confused about who their parent is because we don't all have the same color skin in our family. People yeah. sort of splitting us into 
you know, different um, categories. And so having the chance to talk with them um, and have give them the language and then um, having them be able to um, to use their own words to, de to defend themselves, which mm -hmm. they really shouldn't have to do, but that's the, that's the reality. So I think um, that's been um, a challenge, but also a blessing because we've seen that bear fruit in their relationships and in other relationships that we have. And like Eric was talking about with like living in that, in the hyphen, that space gives you, I think, a lot of, um, a lot of empathy and it just opens your eyes that not everyone sees the world the same way, which if you're never um, in close relationship or in close community with someone from a different background, you might just assume that everyone thinks the same thing about Columbus Day or everyone thinks that a plantation is a wonderful place to have a wedding um, and not all people see things the same way. So we can be um, merciful and gracious by, um, by not putting the burden on them to always explain why things don't sit well with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Oftentimes, I wonder if you guys, when we think about interracial marriage, I hear so often, like, what are the challenges? What are the challenges? But what have, what have you guys maybe you alluded to a little bit? What have been the blessings that you guys have seen, maybe from your, your family growing up or just even from your own marriage and, and having your own kids and interacting with others? Um, but what have been maybe a blessing or two that you've experienced from that? Well, I know a blessing for me has been, uh, as I kind of alluded to before, it is I've gone through an education process and I, I feel much more comfortable participating in conversations like this than I would have yeah. a while ago. And so I think we're uniquely positioned to participate in this conversation, conversations which I'm thankful are happening more frequently. Mm -hmm. And it, it allows that voice uh, to be heard. And you, know, you mentioned we, we f look forward to our children. And you know, this is something that's not introduced in their lives and that, that they'll have to learn midway through, but it's just kind of natural for what they're what they're experiencing. So it's, it's positioning us well to have a voice in this conversation. And, you know, I think about my own development. And so you talked about empathy and grace. So, so there's, mm. there's enough to go around. There's enough of God's grace. And so I yeah. think about my own development and the immaturity that I had about some of these topics or the ignorance that I had. So I can think, oh, maybe I can see where that person who is defensive or who is maybe just doesn't understand how to use words that 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 might you know not bristle us, um, so so I can kind of hear that and and draw them in in a way that maybe I would not have been able to if yeah. I weren't part of this relationship. And I think you know, there's there's a, a few different components. There's an educational component, so just knowing the history of of Columbus Day, that knowing things that other people experience, but then there's the relational component. So now mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship with someone, so I can attach that history to a person. And, and for me, that's just much easier than to empathize mm -hmm. and to bring compassion into the conversation because there is that relationship. It's not just a, a story that I've heard. There, there's a person to go along with it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the blessing for me is that I get to be married to Les, which I wouldn't be huge able blessing. to if that, I were not in an interracial yeah. marriage. Um, so that's obvious. Um, but I think the thing, and he sort of talked about this already, is that it is a really huge blessing and gives me hope um, for what can happen in the body of Christ, that it's yeah. not inevitable that, um, that people remain um, ignorant or insensitive. Mm. Um, I've seen um, so much growth in him over oh, 
this uh, almost 16 years <laughs> that we've been <laughs> married. And I know that that's also possible for other people. So right. it, it gives me, um, it gives me hope and encouragement. Um, so I appreciate that too. Mm, uh, I appreciate that perspective. Thank you. Are there any closing comments that any of you had as just as we wrap up our time? Like, hey, I, I always wanted to share. I wish people just had thought about or knew this about this topic. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. And I think I'll, I'll follow what Les and Jocelyn have said is the blessings of engaging and interacting with people from different ethnic, ethnicities is your worldview gets opened up in so many different ways. Mm. You, your perspective on certain things gets changed. And the bird's eye view just widens. Um, and I think that's because you, you start to see things from a different angle, a different perspective. And, I want, and th that's a big encouragement. I think God is so creative that he created all these different perspectives yeah. through the different lenses of the different people he's created. And I think it's such a joy. And it's, it's a journey of learning. Yeah. There's, a, there's a journey of unlearning what I think is correct in my perspective and learning the various positions and perspectives and biblical lenses that God has placed in each and every one of us. So I want to encourage people. It's like get to know people outside of your bubble, hmm. outside of your ethnicity. Eat the different types of food. See the way people treat different elements in society. Um, it just opens up your, your perspective and your life even more. Yeah, great. Anyone else? Sure. Um, I would just like to say I'm so thankful that we're doing this series and that we have this opportunity. And I think that the church um, can really lead and yeah. be a source of um, a source of hope, but a source of light. And I think, you know, sometimes we um, might think that we'll embarrass people or offend people, and definitely that can happen. Um, but within the body where we are trusting that each other um, come from a place where they're seeking to um, to love and, and to serve and connect, then we can we can practice that um, with each with each other. And so I would say that um, I would encourage people to keep having conversations if they want to. I won't volunteer anyone else, but I, I love to. I love to have these conversations. You can volunteer TK. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. volunteer TK too. Um, but but let's let's talk. And if we're um, if we can't do it within the body, then it's like, well, where are we going? Where yeah. are we going to do that? So let's let's do that. Yeah, if there's any place that grace and understanding needs to bound unity, right? It has to start in the church. Yeah, totally. If I can add just a, a verse from Isaiah that I think kind of encapsulates what, what you all are saying that I just want to reaffirm. Isaiah 1, 16 to 17 says, Wash yourself, make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. I think we can, we can all agree any person uh, who has read of history or just been around uh, the past couple of weeks and months knows that there is oppression and uh, injustice that exists in our world. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things the Bible says about this, I think is just so clear and so encouraging, is that one of the first things you got to do is learn. And so I think a series like this, if you're someone who would say, well, this is all too much and I just, I really struggle with this, can I encourage you? At least just tune in to the next four weeks 
and learn. Begin yeah. to learn what it is to do good. Begin to, to learn what it is to, to bring justice, to, to seek justice, to correct oppression. But it, it all starts with that learning. And so if you're someone who's kind of taken aback by this, freaked out, really upset that I would ever say anything bad about Columbus, uh, maybe this is the point where you just say, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm going to begin learning, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to each of you for coming and sharing with us today for taking the time out. I know I've learned and I hope for each and every one watching tonight that that we've learned and been encouraged um, as well.